started a, a, I don't even want to call it a series, I started a two-week little message uh, last week about Jesus Christ. And um, some people would see, well, it's obvious that you're going to talk about Jesus, but I, I just felt in the season, sometimes it's good to look at Jesus in terms of the person of Jesus, what he did. And because when things are all ups and downs and topsy-turvy and the world has gone mad and, other, you know, and everyone's fighting each other, and we need to sometimes zoom out and just see the story, see the process. And um, so I just answered the, or asked for questions as the bluff, as the bottom line up front. What are we going to look up? And what are we going to look at? I mean, who is Jesus Christ? We did that last week. And I can say, and I don't mean this by any sense to, to point a finger at me, not at all, but I was amazed by how many people came to me and asked me for notes and asked me for the points that we said and what we went over and that they haven't maybe heard it like that before. Because we went over all the things that Jesus said about himself. Who is he? And what did he say about himself? And it offers a lot of revelation. It reveals something far beyond than we can even understand or see. So... I can't go over all of them. Um, we did that last week. But who is Jesus Christ, actually? What did Jesus come to do? How did he do it? And does he still do that today? And if he does, how? So these are important things. Because he changes not. So he does exactly today what he did then. And the ministry of Jesus on the earth was about the restoration of the full person. He didn't just set free, he also gave purpose. He didn't just give purpose, he also took further and built relationship. Jesus always restored the whole person. Always. So, last week we went over it. Who is Jesus Christ? I'll, we went over 20 statements that Jesus made about himself. There's many, but we went over 20. I'll just read a few. Jesus called himself the Son of Man. And that's from Daniel chapter 7. This is who they knew that the Messiah would be, but they didn't actually know that he would be from heaven. And I, I, I'm going to get distracted if I start walking away from my notes because that excites me so much. But they had no, what do you mean from heaven? When he told John the Baptist in this, and um, Nicodemus, I'm the son of man, but I actually am not from here. Yes, I'm the son of man. My government will go forever, but I'm not from here. That, it's not something they had thought about. No man or no other false god or false religion or person or Messiah or Christ had ever claimed anything like that ever before. Ever in history. Jesus said that he, he claimed to be God's physical son. And that God was his father. Again, something that they would not have thought of. The Bible says that Israel was God's son in the Old Testament. They couldn't fathom that. What do you mean God's son? Like you're, he has a son. Jesus said that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Again, something that they had never thought of. They said, in a sense, what do you mean that you can fulfill the law? God gave us the law for sin. How do, what, what do you mean fulfill? Who was here last week, by the way? And when we see that, we realize what he came with. He came with staggering revelation. They had, they, they, no one had ever thought about that. He said, I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. And people had, what do you mean fulfill? How, do, how can you complete it? That's holy. It's from God. That's what God's given us how to live. What do you mean? Then what do we do after that? So, I can't go through all 20 of them, but there's many. Uh, number 13, that, well, 13 on this list. Jesus said that he never sinned and that he alone, as the Son of Man, had the power to forgive sin. And you know, again, I say this again, they weren't looking for an answer to sin. 
please, we have to understand that in their day, that wasn't their issue. They had the law for that. Well, for sin, we have the law. What do you mean? We have the law. We go through stuff every year. That's what the law is for. And he said, no, actually, it's much bigger than that, which we'll look at a little bit today. And that they, he came to reveal to the world, as I said, what is wrong with the world. So there's many more, but we're going to get on to the second one. And today, can you just put your hands on your head and just say, I'm sorry, because uh, we're going to go through a lot today. You're going to need your thinking caps. So say, brain, just don't worry about it. Please understand that it's not just about remembering everything that's said. It's not about understanding. You can come back. We are going to put the notes up. A lot of people have asked. Um, so we will do that. But each one of these things that we're going to talk about have deep valleys. And as a person who loves the word and loves doctrine and wrestled through things in my own life, seeing God's power, seeing what God can do, living in it, experiencing it by the grace of God, having some of that come through me. But then you go like you don't understand it. So it presses you into scripture. So each one of these things have, each one is a, a series on its own. So we're just going to touch mountaintops. Can we do that? I can't go into everything. It's just, it just, it would take literally months. But what did Jesus come to do? Who is Jesus Christ? What did he come to do? Well, the best person, again, to ask is him. And I call them statements of purpose. There's many things that Jesus said. He literally said, this is what I've come to do. I have come to do this. I have come to do this. And there's many of them. There's about 20 that the Bible talk about in the New Testament. For example, 1 John 3, 8, for this purpose, the Son of God was made manifest, that he would destroy the works of the devil. That's like, that's what he came to do. That's overarching. But we can't go through all of them. So I try to write down three statements to simplify it. We're going to read a bunch of them. We're just going to read them. But to write down three statements that somehow can sum up uh, it's impossible to sum up what Jesus did, yeah? Because there's obviously even more revelation that none of us have seen. I mean, the, there's no end to the Lord. But I'll try to write down three statements that give it normal, natural language. Normal, basic language. What did Jesus come to do? Number one, Jesus came to reveal the truth of what is wrong with the world. And to solve that problem at its source, in order to rescue and redeem mankind. We have to understand they didn't understand that they were in need of rescue. We have to see that. The Pharisees were so in love with the law, they couldn't see past it. Number two, Jesus came to reveal the Father and proclaim the good news of the kingdom and to invite us into both, both his family and his kingdom. Number three, Jesus came to prepare his people to receive the Holy Spirit. Those three, that's in a sense what he did. It's likened unto a lot of people stop, but Jesus came to forgive my sin. Jesus came to set us free. That is awesome and wonderful and true. But it's like going to prison and you're the advocate. Jesus is our advocate. And you do everything that's necessary to get them set free, to get them released. And they walk out of the prison. Wow, thank you. Okay, goodbye. Gone. No, he also came to give purpose. Then he says, come with me. I've got things I want to show you. I want to know you. I want you to know me. I want to walk with you. Big difference between just set free and leave. Hello? Yeah. So the first one, Jesus came to reveal the truth of what is wrong with the world. 
and to solve the problem at its source in order to save mankind from death and separation from God or to save or redeem mankind. So what are some of the statements of purpose concerning that? Jesus said that he came as a light into the world, John 12. I've come, into a li- I've come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Jesus said he came to bear witness to the truth. He said that to Pilate. One of the translations says he came into the world to show, what, to show us what truth really is. Next one, it says, Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. He said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus said he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Again, not something that any person had ever thought up before him. You see, God gave Israel the law to reveal both his righteous requirement for fellowship But he also gave Israel the law, and the Bible says this in Romans 5. He gave them the law to reveal their sinfulness. One of the translations says to make sin increase or to bring sin out of hiding, to reveal to them, you actually can't do it. I'm giving you the the, the requirement for fellowship and relationship with me is perfection. You can't do it. They fell so in love with the law that they didn't even understand the point of why it was given. That's why they started to add addendums. Like, you know, you add addendums to like a constitution. They started to add addendums to the law and change it. And when Jesus showed up, he said to the Pharisees, he actually got mad about that. He said, what are you doing? You're making the word of God of no effect. It was meant to point to me. Now they can't see me. And they used it to pump up their own religious system. But there was something much bigger going on. And then also, Jesus said he came to give, came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You know, you can't really serve someone properly unless you can overcome what overcomes them. You can just serve them in their trouble. That's fine. But Jesus came to serve by dealing with what was troubling mankind. So, he said, I've come to reveal truth. I've come as a light. Well, that was news to them. They didn't know they were living in darkness. That I've come as a light to all those who dwell in darkness. And they well, we're not living in darkness. Yes, you are. And they couldn't see it. And I've come to pay a ransom. So the question will arise in the heart. I, be, I believe it arose in their heart. Why does man need to be saved? Why does man need to be saved? And I know this is something that is known, but I, I, I felt to just give a very simple form of it. Why does man need to be saved? Well, one word. Who knows what it is? Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Shout it out. Sin. Yes. Sin. One word. Why does man need to be saved? But there's a difference between sin and sins and the sinner. There's actually a difference. Concerning sins, these are things that you do, thoughts we think, actions we take. they sins, they things. It says here, you can see the verses, I think they're up behind me, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. That the blood of Jesus, the blood of, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. That that's what cleanses us from every sin, things that we've done. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, because in him there is no sins. There is no sin. These verses speak of uh, the remedy to sinful acts, sinful thoughts, sinful ways of living, sinful ways of thinking. But concerning sin, Romans 6 says this, knowing this, that our old man, that's the flesh nature we're born with, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be annulled and that we no longer serve sin as a slave. 
That's what John the Baptist said. Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is referring to the condition of sin. Billy Graham called it a disease. We're all born with a disease. The condition of sin. This condition actually of death. And it sits as a powerful slave master, Romans 6. When you're born, you have a slave master and he whoops you. And that slave master is sin. And sin, if you can see sin, you know that verse that says the, the train of his robe fills the temple? Sin has, in a sense, a train. Sin comes along with two things. And I know we know this. But sin comes with wages. The way, Romans 6.23, the, the wages of sin is death. The Bible says in Romans 5.12 that when sin entered, death also entered. So when Adam sinned and they disobeyed and they were deceived by the enemy and sin happened, in that moment, death entered. Sin always comes with a wage. It's something you earn, actually. It's a wage. And it's owed to you. But sin also comes with wisdom. What did what does the scripture say in Genesis? The scriptures say that when she saw the tree, she saw that it was desirable to make one wise. To make one wise. And the enemy said to Eve, You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And that doesn't actually mean you know, right and wrong, good and evil. It actually is talking about full knowledge. You will know from here to here, from good to evil. You will have full knowledge. They already, they already were like God. God made them in his image. And they exchanged truth, the truth of God, for fallen wisdom. And they literally, self was born in the heart. And man became the center of his own world. And he put himself on the throne of his own heart. This happened in the garden. And wisdom, but fallen wisdom, was born. And this is what happened. So sin within its train comes with wages and it comes with wisdom. And that's why we have full knowledge. That's why most across the earth, we know what's right. We can fix. We can fix what is wrong with mankind. Not God. We don't even believe in God. We can fix it. We can change it. Even in the early 19th century, um, I forget the name of the gentleman. I'm so sorry, a famous author. They wrote all about utopia, and, and it was actually a socialism thing, but about the utopia that they're going to create on the earth. But before that man died, I wish I could remember his name now. Um, it's a famous author, a famous uh, philosopher. But before he died, he died of basically a broken heart and depression because nothing he said had come about. And his final statement was, man has a blank inside of him. That there's something I don't understand that I can't fix inside. And yet, so it comes with fallen wisdom. You will, you will become wise. But the truth sets free. Fallen wisdom traps. And that's why everyone, a lot of people actually think, if I just, we've all heard, if you just live a good life, what was the very first thing that man did after sin entered the world? The, the very first thing. Before they even hid away. They made clothes to cover themselves. That word cover is the word atone. They said, we can fix it. We can cover up. We can, we can make it better. God said, no, you can't. Because with sin comes the condition of death. And death has been total in every generation since that day. Because everyone born on the earth is born with the condition of death. The, the inherent sin, the condition of death inside. 
So they say, oh, we can fix it. Well, the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it's the way of death. So the enemy won a terrible victory in the garden. Why? Because now that death had entered, man was trapped. But he also believed that he could fix it. It's amazing. So Jesus came, yes, to deal with sin, but also with sins in order to totally save sinners. See, Jesus said when he said this, for even the Son of Man did not come to serve, uh, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That word ransom, lutron in the Greek, spelled lytron, but it's lutron. And who's ever heard of the law first mentioned? It's one of the ways you can study the Bible. It says here in Exodus, the first time that word was ever used was in Exodus, it says, and it talks about a ransom. If a ransom is demanded, the owner may redeem his life. The owner may redeem his life by the payment of what? In order to redeem that, there's a payment demanded. So Jesus uses this word. And those Jewish people would have understood. I've come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom. Ransom? Lutheran. What, what do you mean, ransom? So the best way I can maybe do this, because otherwise the teaching is too in-depth, I got a little conversation that I, can I read this to us? I wrote a little conversation down between, you know, Jesus and someone, some guy who grew up in that system and in that day, trying to understand what are you talking about? So he says, ransom? Well, what do you mean there's a ransom? Well, there must be a shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. And the guy goes, yeah, I know, I know, Lord, but the law. Like, we know that. We have the law. And he says, yes, yes, son, but that'll never suffice because it's not a substitutionary sacrifice. And the law itself declares it has to be a life for a life. And that's why it never ends. You kill them, shed the blood, oh, we're forgiven. And then you sin, oh, we need to do it again. Then you sin, oh, we need to do it again. Then you sin, and it goes round and round, and round. Why? Because it's not sufficient. And he was saying, so that was actually, I was there in the beginning, you weren't. This was never our plan for mankind. Never. This is not why we made man. My father put the law on the earth, as I said earlier, to reveal the need for me. So you see, yeah, even it says here in Romans 8, it says here in Romans 8, that the law could not do that in that, what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did. Up there. What the law could not do, God did. How? By sending his son, that's me, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Why? On account of sin. So well, what does that mean? Well, that means the law was weak. Why? Because it had the power to point to what was wrong, but it couldn't actually transform the heart. So you know you needed forgiveness. So you killed all these things. You had the blood, like you said. And then uh, when you sinned, it all started again. Because it couldn't change the heart. It could just point to the problem. So the law couldn't fix it. That was actually the point. So God did fix it. How? Well, I came. Not me, Clayton. You understand? Hello. This is not a cult. It would be weird. <laughs> so he said, I came. And I came because, why? Because the law couldn't do it. It was weak. Even though it was God's doing. Even though it was holy. And I came, why? On account of sin. So God did what the law couldn't. Then he said, so I must die. 
The guy's like, die. Well, yeah, I must die. John even said, Jesus even said, for uh, what should I fear or should I be sorrowful in this hour? No, for this hour I was born. I was born to die. Imagine knowing that in your natural, I was born to die. Jesus would have read Isaiah 52, how they beat him beyond the image of a man. He grew up understanding, that's me. He knew the scriptures. So he says, I have to die. But he says, but my sacrifice will be sufficient. Why? Well, I'm not from here, remember. So I don't have that condition of death. Oh, so I have to die. The shedding of my blood. You know how the law says it has to be a spotless lamb. That's why John, you were there when John pointed at me and said, behold, the lamb of God. And you're like, he's not a lamb, he's a man. It's like, well, that's what he meant. I am the lamb of God that must take away sin. But I'm not from here. I don't have that condition of death. And I've actually never sinned. So I will shed my blood. You, like, like an animal? Yeah. I'll shed my blood to deal what is wrong with you. Well, I can fix what the law couldn't fix. I'll do it. He goes, wow. Really? Yeah, why? For you. I love you. And God loves you. And he can't leave you like you are. And then he says, oh, he says, but actually that's not going to be enough. What? Yeah, I, I, it's not going to be enough. Why? Because otherwise it's similar. I'll leave you with the forgiveness of sin, but death will still be total in every generation. Oh, so what do you, now what? It's like, well, I have to live a sinless life. Huh. Yeah, I can't do that. Oh, I know. I know. I have to live a sinless life. So that when I die and I go down and face death, the Bible describes death as the last enemy. And I'm standing and I look at death. Well, death is not owed to me. Because I have, there's no wage. There's the wages of sin is death, but I've never sinned. But I died. They killed me in the natural. But now I stand before death, the last enemy. And he sees me and he goes, hmm, never seen this before. What do I do now? And this guy's, that's amazing. Yeah. So that way, it's injustice. What do you mean? Well, God's throne, you know the, you know the scriptures, the Bible says the throne, God's throne, the Father's throne, is made of righteousness and justice. And now when I'm standing there, I'm righteous. I have no sin in here, no condition of death, but I've died. And so death can hold me because it's not owed to me. It has no authority over me. So now I rise again. Oh, no one had ever thought. We know the Pharisees, Sadducees, they disagreed on the resurrection, but they were talking about the resurrection to come of us all. No one thought, you're going to like, in and out? Yeah, three days. I, hello? They hadn't thought about this. So he says, that's why the Bible says, my, my, my friend, for since by man came death, by man. So I have to do it. Remember, it has to be substitution. So I had to be made like you, but not like you because I'm not from here. I had to be made like you. By man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ, that's me, all shall be made alive. So he says, so you see, remember your father. Who's your father? Moses or Abraham? Abraham. Oh, he's the father of us all. Father of what? Faith. Yeah. So 
when you put your faith and trust in me, that I am sufficient as the lamb. You know how you, when you were born on the earth, the Bible always says that you were in Adam? Yeah, yeah. So actually, the Bible says that the reason you're born with this condition of death is because you're born in Adam. And that's kind of unfair, right? And he says, yeah. And why? Well, because I was born with this condition of death. That's why this condition of death is like a tree. The sins are just the fruit of the tree. And he says, I have to cut the tree down. I can't just keep getting rid of the fruit. Don't you know? Don't you know that a bad tree can't bear good fruit? He says, oh, well, I've got to get rid of the, I've got to cut the tree down. I've got to give you a brand new tree. So when I rise again and I conquer death and you believe in me, when you were in Adam and one day you would stand before God, you would stand before God in Adam and sin would be there. No matter how well you lived, no matter how good you are, it's there, regardless of your condition, it's there. Oh, but if through faith in me, you die as I died. And then when you stand before God, you stand there righteous. Why? Because no matter how you lived, if you're in me, what I am is put on you. Now you are in me. You are not in Adam. This is literally what the scriptures teach. I will put my very own righteousness on you because you can't. God came. Jesus came to reveal the truth of what is wrong with the world, to solve that problem at its source in order to redeem mankind, a life for a life. This is actually the justice of God. But there's more. Jesus also came to reveal the Father and to proclaim the good news of the kingdom and to invite us into both his family and his kingdom. It's no good just setting him free from prison and then leaving him there. Let's read some of the statements of purpose that Jesus made about that. The first one you may think, hmm, I'm not sure if it goes under that heading, but you'll see. Jesus said he came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus said, uh, Jesus came to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. This is a good scripture for revivals. You know why Luke 4.43, what did he say? I must preach the kingdom of God to other city also because for this purpose I've sinned. Why? Because healing and deliverance was happening. They were having a little revival and they wanted to keep him. No, don't leave us. Don't leave us. Just stay here. The glory of us four no more. Just us. Just you and me. Just stay here. He said, no, I've actually come to go to all the cities. They're like, yeah, but we're like what's happening here now. Now. It's like, no, I know, but I've come for more than that. It's often actually why revivals end, in my belief. Control and constriction. Jesus said he came to give life. John 10.10, the thief does not come except to kill, to steal, to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life. He actually claimed to have the source of life within him, as we saw last week. Last week. Jesus came to reveal the Father, Matthew 11. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and to whom the Son will reveal him. I have come to reveal the Father. And then he said, don't you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I've come to reveal his heart. 
I've never chased one away. I've never said no to the one. I've never told a person, sorry, this sickness is from my dad. I can't help you. I've never cast out a, I've never not cast out a demon when they brought their child. I have come to reveal the heart of my father, the love of my father, the will of my father. I've come to reveal what he's like because you can only see him through the law and you miss the point. This is what my father's like. You see how I am? You know what it's like to be around me, his disciples? Yes. How do you feel? Loved, full of hope, full of joy, excitement. I have purpose. I can't wait to see. Yes, that's my father. That's my father. That's who he actually is. He came to reveal the father. And as you can obviously understand, the father heart of God, we could do a series on that for weeks. We just can't in one day. But everything Jesus did in his earthly ministry was to show what his father is like. And he kept saying, this is what my kingdom's like. My kingdom is like this. My kingdom is like this. My kingdom is like this. I'm not from here. I come from somewhere else. You're going to end up there. I've come to put that kingdom inside you. Stuff they hadn't ever thought of. Everything I'm doing is making a way for you to just be saved. No. I'm doing everything to restore purpose. I made you with purpose. You have a purpose. I have a plan for you. You have purpose. I have made you for purpose, and that purpose has been lost. So I have come to restore that purpose. That's why I believe when it says, came to seek and save that which was lost, because that purpose is discovered in family, just like in the natural. If you grow up in a wholesome family, they are the ones who'd help you discover what are your talents? What can you do? What do you feel pulled to do? What is the stuff that, yeah, I'm so excited. What is the purpose that God has put in you? That is discovered and learned within family. Not in college, family. School can help, college can help, but it's in family. And that is discovered with the right heart of the Father. It's discovered in family. He said, I've come to give you purpose. I've come to seek and save that which was lost. The Bible doesn't say I've come to seek and save the lost. And I'm not going to die on this hill. Yes, it's talking about people. The context where it says that in Luke 19 is even about Zacchaeus getting saved. But he says, I've come to seek and save that which was lost. What was lost? Yes, humanity. But what? Authority and fellowship. The authority that the devil stole because he had none of his own. We have to understand that. The devil has no authority unless you give it to him through agreement. Zero. Even in the garden, he didn't have any. So he needed Adam's. The Bible says you are a slave to whomever you obey, Romans 6. So he deceived them, they obeyed him, they became his slave. And they're born with the slave master now, sin, bringing in death. That's why when the, the enemy, the devil, took Jesus up on the, in the temptation, took him up to the highest point, he said, all these kingdoms I will give you and your glory and their glory, for they have been delivered to me. Actually, what does it say? Let me get it right. He says, the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me. Some people say, no, he was just like over, over exaggerating. No, 
Who gave it to him? Adam. He had none of his own. So he had to deceive Adam. In the deception, Adam becomes a slave. And Adam takes on the eyes of the, of the enemy. He starts to be afraid of God. And he hides from God. The only one afraid from God, there is the devil. And he takes on the enemy's nature. He takes on the enemy's thinking. takes on the enemy's fallen wisdom. And God says, I will come and I will redeem you. I will send what the law couldn't do. I will come and redeem you. What was lost in the garden? Authority. The authority of what it is to be in God's family. John 1.12. Behold, uh, let me read it. But as many as received him, that's faith, to them he gave the right. That word right is exousia in the Greek. He gave the authority to become children of God to those who believe in his name. When you come into this family, he's saying, yes, I'm going to rescue you, but I'm also going to adopt you. I'm also going to make you my son so that you have an inheritance. So that in our family, in this family, now you have a new lineage. That's why the New Testament starts with the lineage of Christ. That's yours when you're saved. You take on a new bloodline, a new heritage, a new family with a new inheritance, with a new future. And he says, no one will ever snatch you out of my father's hand. Why? Because you have authority now. Not to just, oh, look at me. No, that's the old nature. You have authority to do my father's business. You have authority to trade on his name. You have authority to deal with the enemy when he comes to your door. You have authority. That which was lost, I've come to restore. Remember, remember Peter, when you said, you are the Christ when I revealed. Who am I? You are the Christ. What did I say? You said, I'm going to build my, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church on this revelation of who I am. But you're going to need keys. The keys of the kingdom. And in that day, that was given to a steward. Actually, sewn into the thing on his shoulder when the steward would rule in place of a king when the king left. And he said, I'm going to give you the authority to rule here while I'm going there. And you will, anything you bind will be bound. You need authority. And he said, so I've come to restore that which was lost. Authority and fellowship. It's not just warfare. It's not just a battle. There is a battle. But also fellowship. That which ended when you sinned. That which was taken. The authority was stolen, but sin broke fellowship. And you missed the point of the law. So I'm here to explain it to you and tell you what it is. To reveal to you. This is why I'm here. To show you what my father's like. Don't be afraid of him. Don't run from God. He's not trying to trap you and harm you. He has a plan for you. He loves you. He has a purpose for you. Come into his presence. So I'm going to make it so that even the way, Hebrews 10 says, I have consecrated the way to God. Even the way is covered. You can come. Come into his presence. Come into his love. Come into his embrace. Yeah, but I've done all these terrible things. I know. Because of the tree the condition of death, and you keep trying to have fruit, good fruit from a bad tree. You keep trying to fix the way you are. You can't. Cut that tree down. I've come to give you something new. I've come to restore fellowship so that in our family, you discover who you are. And every one of you is different. It's not ministry. It's wherever you are, whatever you're doing. He came to restore that which was 
lost. Now you can see Paul, the greatest preacher, incredible revelation. He said everything I've said in one sentence. You know, I'm not Paul. Listen to this, Galatians 4. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. His son. So that's the without sin. Born of a woman, substitutional sacrifice came in our, in our likeness of men. Born under the law to fulfill righteousness, to redeem those under the law, to rescue and save, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So some people make it all about the forgiveness of sin. Jesus said, "That's I'm just removing something so you can be restored into the family. I've done this and this and this and this and redeemed. Why? So that you can be sons and put a ring on your finger. The signet ring of authority. And then he says, but there's more. Imagine this guy. Really? Yes. He says, I actually had to make you sons in order to give you the gift. What gift? My very spirit. What does Paul say in the next verse? Verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoptions of sons. Some people stop at salvation. Yeah, I'm free. Other people stop at sonship. Yahoo, I'm in the family. God loves me. He presents his worship. He says, and because you are sons, you had to be a son. And you even females, your son, because you're in Christ. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, into your heart. I had to save you, rescue you, so that you could be a son. But I made you a son so I could put my spirit in. Big difference. And so that's the last one, which again, we won't have time for. Jesus came to prepare his people to receive the Holy Spirit. To make them a people ready to receive the same spirit that was in him. When we understand, you, might, you may be offended at this. I hope you are because it will push you to scripture and you will see that I am right. Jesus informed them that everything he did in his earthly ministry, he did not of any of his divinity. He did it as a man in right relationship with God, righteousness, anointed by the Holy Spirit. He said, everything I'm doing here, the healing, not, not the dealing with the condition of death. Only Jesus could do that. In his practical ministry, what I am doing, I do as a man like you. He said that over and over. John 5, I can do nothing of myself. Acts 10.38, how Jesus went around, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, that's his humanity, Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all of those oppressed by the devil. Because, you see, if Jesus did it as just, well, divinity, the Son of God, as someone in one sense, then I'm, I can, wow, that's amazing, but I can't follow the act. Now, none of us are Jesus. I'm not saying that we are. But he did a whole lot to put his Spirit in us. And to empower you with the very same person of the Godhead that he was empowered by. 
That's what he did. It is very clear in the Bible. Very clear in the Bible. You need the Holy Spirit. And you need to receive the Holy Spirit. And it starts with salvation, but it goes on from there. We need the Holy Spirit. We became sons, not even just to be sons. We became sons because only sons can have the Spirit of God. So in the New Testament, in the disciples, we have to understand they were not focused on what we are focused on. I don't even know. We've lost the notes. They, they were not focused on. We still sin conscious. We wake up every morning to what I shouldn't do, and that's bad, and that's right, and that's wrong, and that's good. Hebrews 10 said, if there's a sacrifice that could come, that could be a once-for-all sacrifice, which has come. The worshipers, once they are purified, I'm quoting, once they are purified, would no longer have consciousness of sin. I'm not talking about the heresy of sinner's perfection. I'm saying they will no longer wake up every morning to think about what I shouldn't do. They wake up every morning to think about what has my father got for me today? It's a totally different way of living. It's a totally different way of thinking. They didn't even have the language. The disciples, early church, did not have the language that we have in our voice today, in our mouths. Even when it comes to the things of the Holy Spirit, people speak about gifts and they didn't have that. Why? It came 26 to 27 years after Jesus died. Paul got a revelation from heaven and explained the gifts. They didn't have that. They only knew one gift, the person of the Holy Spirit. That's all we have, the Holy Spirit. That's all they knew. We must have the Holy Spirit. Jesus called it. Do you remember, guys? Jesus called it the promise of my Father. Well, it's crazy because what did Jesus say? Imagine their discussions as the disciples with what Jesus said to them. Jesus, when we asked, can we do what you do? He said, well, the, the works, uh, the words I speak to you are not my own. And the works are from my Father in me. He went from words to miracles because he was speaking about the miraculous. Huh, interesting. He said, the words I speak to you are not my own and the works are from the Father within me. And they were like, you remember when he said that? Yeah. And you remember how often he said, I did not come to do my own will, but the will of my Father. I do not speak my own words, but the words of my Father. And remember before he left in the farewell discourse, John 13 to 17, the night before he left, the greatest teaching on the Holy Spirit. What did he say to us? He, the spirit of truth, when he comes, he will not speak on his own authority. He will tell you of things from heaven. He will tell you of the future. He will tell you what's to come. He will take off what is mine and declare it to you. Oh, what does that mean? Well, Jesus modeled for us what it is like to have the Holy Spirit operate through you in a sense unlimited. And it's not about that. How? Not your words, not your will. He said, I wake up every morning and I speak what he says and I do what he wants. Now, I understand I can't live that way. I've tried. And we're growing and we're learning. But he was saying that. Why did he say that over and over to his disciples? So that when he said to them, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, the spirit of truth, he will not speak in his own authority. In other words, he's telling them, guys, I am giving you whom I had, but he has a ministry in you 
That is to form you and to shape you and to teach Jesus to you and to show you what the Father's like, to give you the experience of the presence of the Lord, to, to bring you into maturity, to form your character. He has a ministry in you, but he also has a ministry through you. And when it comes to the ministry through you, it cannot be what you say. It cannot be your words and your will. It must be his. It must be his. It's everything he showed them. That's why obedience. Not because God's going to trap you. Not because the Holy, the Holy Spirit is not a spy from heaven. Oh, he did it, Dad. He did Oh. Some people think of him like that. So, well, I really messed up today, so I probably can't pray for that person to be sick. I mean, to be healed. Don't pray for <laughs> We should end right there, right? We cannot put, we cannot earn what can only be given. However, as a vessel for the Holy Spirit to flow through you, you had to be redeemed. You had to be a son in order to get the Holy Spirit to receive him. Why? To advance God's kingdom for his glory, not for yours. And in order for that to grow, we have to adhere to the ministry in us. He comes to teach us Jesus. He comes to teach. That's why when Paul, in Acts 3 verse 12, when Paul heals the man uh, the, the, um, at the gate, beautiful. He does that healing and lifts up the man. It's the first real miraculous healing in Acts chapter 3 after, the, after Pentecost. You know what he says to them? I'll read it to you. This will, this is. Oh, help me, Lord. I need to land this. In Acts 3, he says, he does this miracle. Now the man's standing with him, and then he says this. Men of Israel, Peter, why do you marvel at this? It's like, have you not been around seeing all the miracles for the last couple of years? Why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness? Some, some translations say piety. We have made this man well. What is he saying? You think this power is sourced in me? No, I'm a vessel. Do you think my character, that word means piety or character. You think my character earned me the right to do it? No. He said, I, I denied him just like a couple of days ago. I literally was like, nope, don't believe in him. So some people read that like, where do I even put that? You put that in a young believer, even though you walked with Jesus, having the Holy Spirit minister through him while he's ministering in him. He didn't end that way. He, did, he ended strong, mature, wholesome. God sent his son to redeem, to reveal to humanity what is the problem with humanity. Because we did not know. Then he said, only I can fix it. Only I can fix it. I will do what the Lord couldn't. I'll kill my own son. Then he said, through faith in him, you become adopted. You get a whole new family. And let me tell you, my father, he's a big guy. There was, as a young man, I just knew, I think every child knows it. You, you, if anyone hurts you, you know. If you've got a father, you know your father, and, you, and you're blessed to grow up with a good father. You're like, if you hurt me, good luck. My dad will take you out. Right? 
parents, mama bear. The school system's learning all about that. You don't mess with people's kids. Well, what does it mean when you realize that you're God's kid? And we wake up so sin conscious, we think that the things happen to us are our fault, so we let them, but actually it's the enemy attacking us and we're agreeing with it. You're his son. You're his daughter. How dare that thief touch you? And he made you a son so he could put his very own spirit in you. But that Holy Spirit within us, let me tell you, he doesn't go anywhere. He's here. Every day, all day. He's here. He's in you. Same as he's in me. Same as he's in whoever your spiritual hero is. He's here. And when we worship, when we get into the word to renew our mind, to feed our spirit man, when we worship, when we pray, and when we read, when we study the word, the spirit of God here, in a sense, manifests and we experience his presence like we experience it now. Here, he's always with you 100%. Power is a little different. Power comes upon you and then it leaves. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Jesus taught his disciples, I will send you another helper. What was he saying to them? I have been your teacher. I have been the one who gave you power and authority over demons. I have been the one who instructed you. I have been the one to show you who God is. I have, and I'm leaving. When I leave, I will give you another helper. He will be to you everything that I have been to you. He will teach you. He will guide you. He will instruct you. He will lead you. He will reveal truth to you. He will convict the world. You can. You do the speaking. He does the conviction. He will. He will. He will. Yield to him as you've yielded to me. And that's all that they knew in the early church. They believed they could minister because they had the righteousness of Jesus on them. So they were in right standing with God. And they believed they had the same spirit that Jesus had. And they went wrong. What did Jesus come to do? It's beyond what we can understand or imagine at times. So much more than set you free. He came to free you, rescue you, adopt you, love you. He said, I will shed abroad in your heart the love of God by the Holy Spirit. I will teach love to you so that you see people like I see them, not like you see them. I will teach you to shut down that old nature that actually is crucified, but it still has a voice. It wants to tell you that it's alive. I will teach you how to shut down the devil because I love you. It's always been Jesus. It's always been Jesus. He loves you more than you can know. Really. And he cheers for you. Doesn't accuse you. He's put his righteousness on you. I long for the day when the church begins to believe that. We stop having Christian superheroes. It's not healthy. We all have issues. Let me tell you. We all have stuff. I have plenty. But God is good. 
And God is great. He's the ingredient, not us. Jesus Christ. In this season, I, I implore you. Find out who Jesus is. In your life, in your heart, in your family. Discover him again. He has things for you you wouldn't dream of. Let me stand. That I wonder if you could pray for us to close. He's better at this part than I am. That's the truth. So I'll get out of the way. Father, we ask that what has been said today would find the right place in our hearts. Let it be rooted within us. Let it be established within us. And even that is of you. That is not even of us. We thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the way you bring it. We thank you for the people you use to bring your word. We thank you for your family. We thank you that we get to, to celebrate all that's just been spoken about. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. We rejoice in you, Lord. We rejoice in your word. We rejoice in what we've heard. We rejoice, Lord. To seal this work by the power of your spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.